Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Welcome back to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. We're glad to be here. And we're back two weeks in a row, so that's yeah. great. I can't remember the last time this happened, actually. Ah, it's a Christmas miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. Which, by the way, we're not going to do any podcasts in January. <laughs> I'm just making that one now since since we're doing... What? The, yeah, because since we're doing the whole 21 jumpstart thing, I think we may just take a January break and then kick right back into it in February. Why are we discussing this on the air? I don't like this at all. That's a I good want point. a podcast in January. That's a good point. Sheldon actually has say in this. <laughs> okay, I jumped the gun. Ignore that. We'll have to talk about it, actually. I made assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe. Maybe. Probably not, though. Based on that reaction, I'm going to go with probably not. We'll, we'll work it out. <laughs> this is how things go. This is how things go. Oh, my word. Have you heard the phrase, the proof is in the pudding? Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea. So I was thinking about this today. Here's what I thought maybe was the origin, and then I'll give you the real origin. As you're talking about it, I have a theory. But, but what, what, what I thought was the origin was like maybe it's not pudding like a sugary dessert. Yes. Maybe it's like more like putting or like. When you put something somewhere, like it's one thing to have it. It's another thing to like engage it. So the proof is in the pudding. So like if I put forward an idea, so I may hold an idea. Yeah. But the proof of whether or not it's a good idea is if I put it forward. Put it forward. Okay. okay. So the proof is in the pudding. Like I didn't even know how to spell it. Okay. Because I haven't read the phrase that often. So I wasn't putting D's in it. And I actually googled it with t's yes and then i'm like no that's pudding <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know how to spell pudding so <laughs> like the way it was in my head so, like if you were going to put something so i don't know where this phrase comes from okay. i don't know that i've ever really used it but because of my random research into random things <laughs> i happen to know that back in the day they would when they would make a plum pudding at christmas time they would put a shilling in the pudding. This is true. And that was something that the lucky one would find, I'm guessing, by choking on it. <laughs> and that was either how you eliminated relatives you didn't like or you, you won the prize. You, you found the... <laughs> so my assumption would be that it has something to do with that. Though you, I never connected or knew so about this. The original phrase okay. in the 14th century was the proof of the pudding with D's. Uh-huh. <laughs> the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Okay. So basically it's like pudding is a treat. So the proof of whether the pudding is any good is in the eating. Yes. Well then people just began shortening it. Shortening it and changing a little bit till we say the proof is in the pudding, which doesn't actually mean anything. Anything. Interesting. So yeah. And it's probably today closer to the idea that I had in my mind. Of, <laughs> like you can hold an idea, but 
actually you know, putting it forward. It's so funny to me, so many phrases that we use that we have no idea where it comes from. Yeah. Like son of a gun. Like, what does that even mean? I have looked that up, though, and apparently, <laughs> apparently, apparently, if you were a woman who lived on a ship uh, and you were giving birth, they would sometimes, and you were having a hard time, they would put you between cannon and fire them off in hopes the concussion would help move the baby down into position. And that was where the phrase son of a gun came from, is that you were uh, born in that way, wow. which is weird. That is tremendously weird and how often did this happen i don't know but enough that it became a phrase so (laughs) i was playing a game yes and i shouted dog got it (laughs) and my dog jumped up and came over (laughs) and i'm like oh no i know you know the word dog (laughs) that means me (laughs) that means me he He loves me Either either he loves me or there's food or I did something I I forgot about. I didn't do anything bad. I'm here now. What did you need? (laughs) If dogs could speak, they would not have smart voices. The dog Doug from Up up, is the perfect iteration of what a dog would be. Absolutely. Absolutely true. I don't even know who that actor was. Now I'm going to have to look that up. Oh, man. Was it Elliot Page? Oh. Oh, man. Sorry. I thought he would have done something like that. Never mind. So many things. To say um, so you were going to talk to us about things. We're just going to leave that hanging. <laughs> yes, huh? yes. Just leave that hanging. We don't like oh. getting banned. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much I could say. Oh. <laughs> All I want to say though is, Elliot, um, just to let you know, things aren't great for straight white ma- males in America. You've turned in all your cards. Yes, apparently she has. He, he, she, I don't even know. <laughs> There's no privilege cards anymore once nope. you've come over to our team. Nope. <laughs> because if your argument is that you're a male. You're now in a heterosexual relationship. Yes. Marriage, even. Oh, yeah. She's actually right. married. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't say actually. <laughs> kind of... No, but I mean, they're actually married. Oh, they're not it. just together. They're actually married. I'd mean that in the literal sense. They are actually married. We oh, should have left it. Nate was going to explain to us in this episode some things that he wished we understood. <laughs> I don't want to understand that. I, I, I'm beyond. I'm beyond. So we're going to start with things that Nate understands that he wish all of us understood. <sighs> and this isn't one of them. He doesn't, doesn't understand. So we should probably start with something that you do understand. You've just totally thrown me off track with that Which one. Which is my favorite that thing That is your to favorite do. thing to do. Uh, well, one my wife mentioned, and so I'm going to give it a mention right off the bat, okay. is four-way stops. Right. People do not understand four-way stops, and they are very simple. They're very simple. The first person to arrive at said stop sign gets to go first. What if they're turning right? Doesn't matter. Don't they turn quicker? They were there first. What about if they're turning left? Let's go. Let's clarify that. Okay. Let's clarify that. Any stop, any stop sign, whoever arrived first gets to go first. It doesn't matter if they're going straight or you're turning or they're turning. They go first. So if I pull up to a light and somebody has their left hand turn signal on, I wait until they go because they were there first. They have the right of way. Wait, you don't need an intersection, cowboy, to wave everybody through? Uh, 
I thought that this is how it works. In absence of a traffic signal, one of the citizens must assume the position of intersection cowboy. The yes, the yes. And direct everyone. Yes. Now, if I remember correctly, though, there is one thing that's confusing about four-way stops, and that is okay. that if four people arrive simultaneously yes. at a four-way stop, which is... Then the person going right goes first. Or is... No, no, no. Is it the, or is it the person to your right? Or is it the person to your left has the right of way, regardless? But the problem is, is that you just go in a circle. I don't know. You were supposed to tell us this what is, you hope this we is understand. The, this is the one part that I'm confused about. Because I think my information on that part of it comes from hearing Barney Fife talk about it when he was trying <laughs> to teach Otis Campbell how to drive. And if you don't know those names, please look them up and watch that show. It's good. But anyway. My 13-year-old daughter has watched all of Andy Griffith. It's a wonderful show. On her own. Until it, well, the color episodes aren't as good. Yeah, she didn't like those. Yeah, when it was black and white, it was good. Right. It's because Warren's annoying. <laughs> his his second deputy is no. They should have just made Goober the deputy. That would have made it okay. Anyway, but all things said, when you get to a four way stop, whoever gets there first has the right of way. Doesn't matter which way they're going. Doesn't matter how they they get to go first. Let them go, move on, and, and there you go. Here's something I wish people understood about the United States. Give it. We are not a democracy, and never have been intentionally. Right. Not a democracy. Explain this. <sighs> we are a... Because we're trying to establish democracy in the Middle East and we're trying to yes. spread democracy around the world. Yes. But democracy is a horrible idea. Horrible, horrible idea. The best, the best anecdote or whatever that I've ever heard coined for democracy is it is a, it is 51 wolves. What is it? Oh, what's now? I can't remember it. It's a wolves and sheep analogy. It's two wolves and a sheep voting on yes. who who should be dinner. Thank you. On what Thank to you. have for dinner. On what to have for yeah, dinner. Two yes. wolves and a sheep voting on what yes. to have for dinner. And even that I don't like because it's at least a two thirds majority. Yeah. Which is the only way a democracy can work. But fifty one percent of the vote is not enough for anything. It it is it is tyranny and it's awful and it's been awful everywhere it's ever been tried. We are a representative federal republic that is what we are we are a republic we have never been a democracy there is there are elements of democracy in republicanism especially the way that we've done it right to establish how the representation right works right but we are not nor have we ever been a democracy and democracy is not the most important element of our representative system by any means I would argue that the Second Amendment is the most important part, but that's a whole other discussion. Oh, we can have that. <laughs> um, in addition to that, things I wish people understood is that the popular vote for president literally doesn't matter. Yes. Literally does not matter at all. Has not ever mattered. At all. And it hasn't even been counted up until the last, I think... 100 years, and I'm being generous there. Now, they've backdated those, and they've they've you know, extrapolated what the popular votes and those things were. But it was not even counted or announced or anything. Didn't matter. Um, and the reason is that the people of the United States do not elect the president of the United States. The states themselves elect the president of the United States. Correct. And no, that is not semantics. That is an actual thing. And the reason why is because it's in the name United States. Yes. We are not Canada, 
or Britain or Russia or something, something that it, we are individual states that chose to unite yes. under a central federal government, but limiting the power of that government in that the states themselves are the ones that choose the president. Right. And we're supposed to and still choose the senators and the congressmen and whatever. But yes. the process for all of that is dependent on the states themselves. That's right. why we don't have a consistent federal, um, federally mandated way to hold elections. Right. Why Florida and Ohio have elections that make sense and <laughs> Michigan has elections that don't. <laughs> But but the popular vote literally does not matter. It never has. And and the way I would say it is that I'm trying to think of a good analogy to help people understand. Obviously, the, the what you see in the electoral college, the electoral votes, is the same as your representation in in uh yeah. in, in the Senate. In the House. It was in the Senate in the House. I'm sorry, right. thank you. Um, I meant to say in Congress. Um, the House. Yep. Yes. And so, you know, what is Ohio at now? Eighteen electoral votes? Yeah, say Ohio's at 18, that's how many congressmen we yes. send to Congress. And, and it's and, based on our population. Right, and uh, and California has, what, 55 or something ridiculous like that? Because they have a high population. Because they have a high population. So what happens is is when when the, the state has voted, when the plurality, the majority of that state has voted, once you have hit that quota, it does not matter how many people in that state vote for or against somebody after that. It's like if I had a measuring cup and it was one cup, and I was saying, okay, I'm going to fill this up and I'm going to get one cup, but I'm going to keep filling it up and get more than one cup. No, it doesn't work like that because it just overflows. It's literally one cup. All it contains yeah. is one cup. The way the states work is almost exactly like that. If you filled that to 50.1%, yes, or, or even just a majority, yeah. like whatever the majority is, right? that's, that's, it. that's what it takes it's, to it's carry the state. And that state decided this is who they want to elect And president. you even have some states, which I think, according to their state law is fine have modified their thing and said you know we're gonna each of our electors is going to be chosen individually rather right. than as a bundle right or if, in certain if segments of the to do that, yeah so like nebraska and maine yeah they're, they, i think they're pretty much the only two they each send three right to congress so their electors they say we're going to vote individually in each of those electorates yeah. they get to pick which yeah. way it goes so yes so the states elect the president the people do not the people have a voice in it but the people do not as in the people of the united states the people of each state have their voice and it gives equal this is why the electoral college is important it gives voicing that matters to every state yes some matter more and the ones that have more population do matter more um you yep. know the fact that the fact that the democratic party has basically locked up New York and California at this point is significant. Gives them a distinct advantage. A yes, distinct advantage, no matter what. And it's just a given that they're going to get those states every single time. But it wasn't before, you know, like 1992. So that's the thing, <laughs> everybody. Just remember that it hasn't always been this way. But the states elect the president. It is not the popular vote. The popular vote literally doesn't matter. And the only reason it gets pushed by the media and by politicians, ironically of a certain stripe, is that... It is an attempt to push toward an absolute democracy, which means that a particular side would win all the time. Because all you would have to do is make sure you have New York in your pocket and California in your pocket, and you're done. None of the other states matter. 
None of the other constituents matter. That's it. Just those two things. And they would have absolute control over everything that is done throughout the entire country. And if you think back, what's the incentive for those states to join the union at that point? Right. If like the when you're trying to get all the states to join the union, you're telling them, no, you will have a say in how all of this goes. You won't just get overruled by at that time. Pennsylvania would have been the most populous of the colonies. Pennsylvania, maybe New York. Like they would have just rolled everyone, and that wasn't the sentiment when the country was founded, for sure. Yes, yes. Nor did Pennsylvania have the desire to rule no. all the other colonies. Of all the ones that did not, they were they were the most. Pennsylvania, unbeknownst to most people, was the very first uh, place in the United States to have absolute religious freedom. It was in their yep. state constitution. Freedom of religion was a part of what they were about from their very founding as a state. Because of the Quaker as a colony, actually, William as a colony. Penn, yeah, William Penn was a Quaker, and that was why. Yes, so you can you can thank Pennsylvania for the fact that that's a part of our American Constitution. Yeah. Um, you got you got something. You you started that no, one. No, that you? was the okay. one that I started. All right, that America's um, is a representative republic, not a democracy, and that. Basically, I think we should do a much better job of requiring our representatives to represent us well. Yes. If you have a problem with the way they are and with the way they're behaving in Congress, it is incumbent upon you as constituents not just to say, well, fine, I'm going to, you know, he's a Republican, so I'm going to vote Democrat or he's a Democrat, so I'm going to vote Republican. Yes. In the end, you may do that. Right. But what you need to do is call and write and and basically say, listen, you are representing me in Congress. Here is my concern that I feel you need to represent. And like, that's how we should engage our congressmen. But it's become polluted in a way that I don't, I mean, I wish people understood how it works. What I do if I do call a congressman, which has been rare, but I have, what I usually do will say, okay, I'm one caller today. If you were to say, of all the callers today, is it like 60-40 this way, that way, or 90-10? How do you feel like the public sentiment from your constituency is going right now? Yeah, It's one thing I usually ask the staffer that I'm talking to. And the one time I did it, it was a particular issue. I was calling my congressman, and they said, yeah, I feel like 90% of the calls I've got today is saying, we need to vote no on this. Yeah, And I'm like okay, I'm one of those people that says, I think you need to vote no. And I said, I think you need to listen to us because if he goes in there and votes yes on something that we have clearly as a constituency said we do not want, then he's choosing his party and he's choosing to do something that is not representative of this district of Ohio. And I hope he understands that because if he goes in and betrays that, because you've you've just now told me the way you think that most of us are are saying something. Right. So if he goes against that, he should expect to get voted out. Right. And he should expect that all of us will campaign against him if he runs for dog catcher. Yeah. Like we no longer expect this person to represent us at all. Yeah. So either he does or he doesn't. Well, he voted Yes, on something that we had all asked him to vote no on. Right. And he hasn't held office in this area since. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is working. There yes, you go. it is. It That's does, how it's supposed to work. It does work. You know, and, and honestly, man, should I even say this? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that because, okay. because that could get us into a whole rabbit trail. You were going um, somewhere. 
the way our process works, people need to know how our process works in government. And that is, there are three distinct branches of government. <laughs> Good. Three distinct branches. There is the executive, which is the president and his whatever, his people that are surrounding him. But the president itself, the presidency as a as a right as a uh, institution, the legislative, which is both houses of Congress and the judicial, which is the Supreme Court or just the courts in general, but the Supreme Court specifically at the federal level. They are all meant to be checks and balances on each other. They are not always supposed to agree on everything. They're supposed to be deadlock. They're supposed to be headbutting. The system was put in place to do exactly that because it holds all the others in check. And the way the system starts, the system works is this. Because if you want something to get done, you should be doing it at the state and local level, yes. which is why the federal level is designed to check and balance right. its own power and restrain itself. Yes. yes. Go ahead. But anyway, so what happens if you have a law or a bill that you're trying to pass yeah. It has to start in the House of Representatives. Right. Now, originally, the House of Representatives were the only people that were elected directly by the people. Right. They were, they were elected by their district to go and represent them in Washington. Senators... So the, the way the founders designed it yes. was the House was basically, you can think of it as the people's house. Yes. They were voted directly by the people, like I was describing. Right. A constituency Which is why would elect... One representative, right. he would then go to Washington right. and represent you. Which is why their terms were shorter, too, because they wanted Every to constantly give, yeah. give people the opportunity to say, no, I'm not satisfied with this person that I've chosen to represent us. We right. want somebody else. It, it, it built that in. Senators were elected by the legislature of the state and sent to Washington to represent the state itself. So Didn't you had some states have the governor. The governor them? put them forward. Okay. But then they had to be approved by the legislature. So before it was kind of like how we do Supreme Court justice. Very similar. So the governor of Ohio right now is Mike DeWine. He would go to the legislatures and say, here's who I would like for Ohio senator. Right. And they would vote on it. Right. And it would theoretically be based on here's the one I would like based on what my agenda is as, as the, as the right. executive. And since the people elected me. This is what they want, too. So here's who you should send to Washington to represent them. And it them. makes sense because the people are directly electing their right. governor. And so if their governor has agenda he's trying to accomplish, it is basically the Senate is representing your governor. Yes. And representing your state as a whole. It's a better representation of your state right. as a whole because you, you directly elected right. your governor the and... You consulted with all of your state legislatures, so this guy is Mr. Ohio, yes. and he's coming here to represent Ohio, right. and he's been and, and the, vetted and, by your governor. And right, yeah. and again, six years, because that would that would cause some overlap even between administrations. Yes. So if an administration changed, there was still a two-year window there where they could they could still be there and make the case that yes, I'm still representing Ohio well, and give that option. However, again, I like the I like the comparisons like, OK, the House of Representatives are the people's representatives. The Senate are the state's representatives, as in right. the agenda of the state. <clears throat> now, what do you remember what year that changed? 30. Was it the 30s? I don't in particular. Know. Maybe it was the 20s. Um, 
Anyway, that did the change. Obviously the now direct election and that senators. and that has caused a bunch of problems. But anyway, let's back up. A bill starts in the House. It gets passed. Um, and that can be by a simple majority. Even the majority yep. passes it and then it will go on to the Senate. The Senate will then take it to the floor. They'll talk about it. They'll say, yes, this is going forward or no, it's not. And they can send it back to the House and say, revise this and send this back to us. Because the feeling is senators supposed to be older, more stodgy, more stable. Like, they're they're an yeah, established right. thing. They're from they're Yeah. And they're supposed to hold the house in check. Yes. Because the house, because they get elected every two years, they have to make a splash. They have to drive the issues. Right. And this is where the creativity of government should come from. Right. It's the house. Right. And then the stability of government and the being able to steer and drive this whole ship you can't just let the house run everything. So the Senate provides that guidance and it's like, no, this will not pass. Take this back and work on it and bring me it when it's better. Yes. <laughs> and worse, so, or whatever, right. Or whatever <laughs> it needs to be right. And so, but if the Senate approves it, they will pass it. And that can be, again, be by a simple majority yep. to pass that bill. Then it will go before the desk of the executive, which is the president of the United States. And then the president will look at it and say, Hmm. This doesn't really fit my agenda. I'm going to veto this. He has the power to send it back. Yeah. Now, when he sends it back, he's not sending it back to the Senate. Right. He sends it back to the House and is basically saying, hey, you started this process. Here are the issues I have with this. Send me a better bill. Now, there is no guarantee that he will get everything he or she will get everything they want. That is just him, them saying, fix this. This is a problem. And so the process starts all over again. Now. Once it hits the Senate, if the Senate decides we're going to pass this anyway without the executive, they can do that. Yeah. But they have to use a two-thirds majority vote to get it to pass without the signature of and the president. And it will become law without the president's without signature. Without the president's signature. So once again, you're having a check and balance to try to keep everybody balanced. Now, when it all comes down to it then, you can then, once a law has been passed, it will then go if it's contested before the Supreme Court of the United States. Because when a law is passed, it is enforced with a gun. And yes. eventually that gun gets pointed at somebody. Right. And, and, and that somebody makes his way to a court of law. And sometimes it's the president himself who will, right. who will say, yes, I'm going to contest this because it's unconstitutional. Yep. And when people talk about the Constitution, this is not arbitrary. This is written down. You can buy a constitution. It is very simple. You can read it. You can look at how all this works. It's very easy. Please get it. Please get it. It's very important and very easy to understand. But it will then go before the Supreme Court. Case will be made. But regardless, what the Supreme Court is supposed to do is look at this law and say, does this in any way violate the law of the land, the supreme law of the land, which is the Constitution of the United States? And if it does... Their job is to say, this law is unconstitutional at its core. It does not apply. We're throwing it out. So they have the option to say no. And then the House has the option to bring a new law together and start the process over again. Or they can either modify their law or they can start the process to change the Constitution itself. Right. Which, Which is requires very onerous. And very difficult. Adding yes. amendments to the Constitution is very, very difficult, as it should be. But this is part of the thing is is people, like I've said before, people always do that whole thing, you know, well, something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. Our, syst our federal system was intentionally set up so that it is not easy to get things done. This is intentional. 
And this is not like, an Congress accident. Congress doesn't do anything. I'm like, I wish they would do less. Less, yes. I wish they would meet less. <clears throat> I wish they would meet they less. Meet like, they can meet like once a quarter, and that's it. Like three months out of the year would yep. be great. Yep, and then they have to go home. Yep. They can't just stay in Washington <laughs> or live in Virginia like most of them do now. <clears throat> but anyway, that is the way our system is set up. The, 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 the president is not a supreme power. He is the face of the government in many ways, yes. And he can negotiate, you know, trade deals. He can do these kind of things. But the buck does not stop with him or her. Never has. And hopefully it never will. That is not what we are set up to do. It is not a monarchy. It is not a dictatorship. No matter what anybody has said about somebody being or not being a fascist. And quite honestly, though he is beloved, the closest thing to a dictator the United States has ever had was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah. In fact, that he kept running for president and he kept winning and he just stayed. I think he got elected to his fourth term Yeah. before he died and he didn't serve much of it, No. but that's insane. I mean, that's insane for a president to that's serve. That's why that they long. changed the law. After. Yes. And, uh, and yes. So when you hear about things like Supreme court packing, this is why this is very important because it's not just a matter of, Oh, you did a thing we don't like. So we're going to do a thing to fix it. No, that is fundamentally trying to change the balance of the system. And that's a problem. That is a problem. Um, you know, the courts are what they are, and they are appointed by a particular party. They are put through by a particular party, and that's the way it was set up to be. But that is so you're constantly having a shift and mix. You know, for the, for the last, you know, most of my lifetime, we've had a predominantly um, loose constitutional interpretation court. They, they tend towards the left. Um, they tend to look at the Constitution as fluid and not, the words that are actually written on the page that has changed now there is there is a majority now that is is constitutionalist yeah. yeah and 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 th and that's the thing you know judges are not republican or democrat although they have affiliations in those part parts but really what it comes down to is are you a constitutionalist or you not essentially is what it comes yeah, down to conservative or liberal more and i'm not and i'm not but, and i'm not even saying that as an accusation i mean i right. I, I remember you know i think uh uh, Justice Kagan and who's uh, Sotomayor, I think they've both uh, written papers at different times about needing to look to international law instead of the Constitution for like basically taking our cues from international law. I know one of them did. I don't I think it was Kagan. Um, but th I have a problem with that because that's not our law. That's not the law of the land. That's not how it's supposed to work. And as a justice, it's not your job to change that. If Congress changes that or the process changes that fine. But that's not your job to do. And so this is where you get into that whole thing. I, I, want a, I want a justice who looks at the Constitution, says this is what the thing says, this is what it means. Right. There you go. So anyway, that is how our process works. It is not complicated, but it Civics is... Civics 101 with Nate. But it is intentionally cumbersome. It's supposed to be clumsy. I don't want an efficient government. There should not be an efficient federal government because you end up with things that are horrible that you cannot undo. You know what should be able to get things done quickly? Your local government yes. should be able to get done things done very quickly. Yes. And your state government, a little less so, but still yes. should be able to solve your problems yes. at the state level. The bigger it gets, the slower it should be. <clears throat> That's how and the it more arduous designed. it should be. Correct. And it has served us well for this long. <laughs> God willing, it will continue to. Um, go ahead. You no, got, it's fine. Okay. I thought you had another one. I do have one more pertaining to uh, America. And this is a big one, and this is a little prickly for some people, but I'm going to talk about it because it needs to be talked about. And that is the three fifths compromise. 
Do you know what the three-fifths compromise is? Oh, yeah, the three-fifths of a person? Yes, and okay. that is exactly what I want to talk about, the phrase you just said, which is a complete misrepresentation of what the three-fifths compromise was. It was in so, order to not have so, the South have more votes? Is that so, what it was? So here's where it started. When, when the, the, the current, um, after the Articles of Confederation had been abandoned and we were looking to draft a new constitution, which this was not our first constitution. We had another one that did not work well. And, and this was, this and was our second federalist papers. Yes. Is that what that was all yes. about? There's also anti-federalist papers Yeah, as a whole thing, but uh, I'm not a big fan of Alexander Hamilton. I, I could get into that too, but that's, <laughs> that's not for here. That's for later. Um, and no, he didn't rap. Um, but uh, the, the three fifths compromise came about because when they were looking at doing a representative form of government, the way that the representation is drawn, uh, not in the Senate, but in the house of representatives is from the census of the people in your state. Right. So it's basically your your population is X amount, therefore you will get X amount of representation. Again, like we said before, California has the most because it's the most populous state down throughout so forth. The right. less populous, the less representation you get to have. And so when this was all coming together, there was a very hot debate between a very vocal minority of uh, southern states that wanted to, and this is where, oh, I hate to say this, this is the prickly part, but I'm going to say it. The, the three-fifths three compromise was not racist in the way that you think it, it was racist. Because the people who wanted... The people who owned slaves who wanted were their slaves racist. counted right. as part of the population so that they could have more representation in Congress so that they could continue to push forward slavery as an institution. Right. Had had they given that full personhood right. status to it would have drastically in the census, right. it would have it would have adversely affected people yes. in slavery. And so you had abolitionists on the other side that didn't want them counted. Is that right? Yes. And you had people in the North who said no and not just from a pragmatic sense, not even abolitionists, but they were basically saying, no, these people are not free and don't have the rights of citizens in this country. So you cannot count them unless you afford them those rights, unless you unless give them you voting give them rights, the right unless you give them. And and of course, they did not want to do that the because, South of course, that leads to its the own right end. To vote, but the South wanted their representation. And so. The three-fifths comp three compromise actually did help the South in the long run because they did get more representation because of it. So it was a literal compromise. But this is the part that everybody confuses and everybody talks about and that's still talked about today so incorrectly, and it was in the very phrase you used, three-fifths of a person. No, that was never it. Now, also understand that black people were not the only slaves and indentured people in the United States at that time. There were other people that this applied to. So it was not a, a, it was, it counted for people in prisons. It counted for people that were indentured servitude. Like all of those things counted as well. Yeah. And if you look um, at the language of the constitution, but here's the part where it stops getting prickly in the language of the constitution itself, three out of every five indentured or enslaved person was counted. 
It was not, we'll count them as three-fifths of a person, we're diminishing their personhood. They were already slaves. They'd already diminished their personhood as much as you could diminish someone's personhood. But they said, for us to compromise, we will count three out of every five enslaved people in your census. Yeah. So it was a three-fifths compromise. It was not looking at them and saying, yes, they are only three-fifths of a person, so that's what they're going to do. No. Because, again, if you're looking at it from that way, that paints it entirely as a racial thing, which would not make sense that the slave owner, one of them, counted as 100% of a person. And the, 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 it, what, did the, the, the person who was the abolitionist say, no, 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 we shouldn't count them as a person at all? No. It was counting three out of every five enslaved people. It's like the fifth third bank. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> I don't really know what that is. But anyway, I am not saying, I'm not condoning what that was in any means, right. but it's important to understand what it actually was and that there was an extremely hot debate about that. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, they're th only three fifths of a person. Let's count them as that. No, that was a compromise that nobody liked, that nobody wanted. Um, and it did give the South a long advantage that, in all honesty, led to a lot of the problems that you ended up seeing in the, and essentially ended up happening with the Civil War and with the length that, of time that slavery thrived in the United States uh, because they, did, they were overrepresented. Um, but it, it is not, it was never about black people being three-fifths of a person. That's not what it was. It was counting three out of every five. And again, the language is very plain on that. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a thing. The three-fifths compromise is not necessarily what you think it was. And I know it's a prickly subject, but it is the truth. You don't have to like it. I don't like it. The whole process is gross, but it is what it was. It was what it was, I guess is <laughs> more accurate to say. It is much more preferential to treat everyone equally, absolutely, which was how the Constitution was written. And it says that, you know, that... All of us are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And the reason that the Constitution works so well is because those that wanted freedom could appeal to the Constitution itself and say, listen, U.S. government and, and Southern leaders right. and whoever that are enslaving us, we appeal to the Constitution and the ideas and morality of the right. U.S. Constitution that you are not upholding. Right. It it says that we are all endowed Equal. by our creator right. with certain inalienable rights. And yes, women fought that fight and slaves fought that fight and the North and the South yeah. fought together and uh, fought against each other for, for, uh, for those ideals. Like yeah. the North was fighting for those ideals saying we are all created equal. Right. And, and so in the end, the constitution was what was under assault by the Confederacy. Yes. The constitution itself was defended by the North and the ideas of that constitution. Right. Which makes me really confused when you redneck Hicks drive around with a <laughs> Confederate flag and American flag, like blended together <laughs> That one in particular, really, like, I yes. don't get it. Yes. No, it's because very true. Because the Confederate flag is a direct assault on right. the ideas and ideals of the Constitution itself. Right. And and to be and clear. And so, so is the three-fifths personhood, like the three-fifths compromise, the way they were counting and yeah. all of that. It it was a provision towards the end. Right. Towards and an And to be result. clear, the issue was... They would not. They would not be a part of the United States if that was not rectified somehow. Right. This wasn't like, oh, they violated the constitution. No, the constitution did not. It, 
it was not ratified by everybody. That was part of the contention of ratification. Like, oh, no, we have to have this. And that was the compromise that they made to create the union. But in the end, the ideals of the Constitution itself would eventually out. catch up to it. Correct. And they and they knew that. And they knew that, which that was a big rallying cry. It, it's very interesting because if you read a lot of stuff from even Southerners during the Civil War, who the majority of, of them were not slave owners. Um, yeah. And one of the biggest things that you always heard in South, you know, slavery is going to eventually die of natural causes. You know, this isn't going to be here forever. It's going to be like it was in Europe or these different things. It's going to go away eventually. We don't need to shed blood over this one way or the other. And those were the the middle of the road. The you know, I would compare them to the to the people who, uh, if you get into the abortion abortion debate, would say, yeah, I don't really believe in this, but it's not really my place to say one way or the other. So we'll just let it ride out until, you know until something changes it was that that mentality was rampant even in the south at the time um so anyway i know it's i know it's a prickly issue but it is one that i feel like i've heard so much about especially lately yeah and it's always misrepresented and so it's important to know the truth of that do with it what you will once you get to that point and make your conclusions from there but don't allow somebody to spin a narrative that's not based on reality of what actually happened interesting yes so there you go what else I don't know. I I was going to let you drive this one. I'm we can to move think. into lighter subjects. If no, you want. it's fine. Yeah, we can certainly move into lighter subjects <laughs> of things you wish people understood. <laughs> I wish people understood that marriage didn't fix everything. Ooh. Because it doesn't. If you have problems. Because you're still present in the relationship. <laughs> with the person who you're already with. Yes. And, and if it is a dumpster fire going into the relationship, getting married will make it worse. Yes. By far. I would even contest that. No, oh, maybe should I say that from a pastor standpoint? Should I say that? <laughs> uh, I would even confess. I would even. I would even say that. Yeah, I would even contest that. Getting married. Will add a layer that even just living together does not. <laughs> because, oddly enough, I've known some couples who they lived together for a long time and then they got married and then everything blew up. And it was because, well, we're having problems, so let's get married because maybe that commitment will fix it. And it did not. In the same way, a child will not fix your marriage. Yes. Neither of those things are good. Um, I, I remember. It's like Jim Gaffigan was talking about having a lot of children <laughs> and then having another one. But it would be the same thing. It's like yes. you're in a pool and you're just barely treading water, almost drowning, and someone throws you a baby. Throws you a baby. It's exactly that. Um and, and I remember, I have personal experience with this, where I was, I was in a relationship with somebody and we were just really not doing well at that point. We were headbutting a lot. There was just not a lot of good stuff going on. Um, and really what it came down to is we just weren't a fit. Like we, yeah. but we were trying to make it work because apparently that's what you do. And I had a friend that I was kind of sharing with some of my struggles and he said, well, maybe you guys should go to counseling. And I thought to myself, we're not even engaged. <laughs> And you are giving legitimate <laughs> advice that we should go to counseling. I'm like, oh, maybe this just isn't a thing I should be in anymore. Maybe we just shouldn't be trying to make this work. Because if that's where you're at, it's, it ain't going to get better. It ain't going to get better just because you put a ring you on should, it. You should counsel my way into a marriage. Yes. No. That's a bad idea. It's a very, very bad idea. But yeah, getting married does not fix anything. Yeah. It will just exacerbate the problems that you went in with. So here's one. I wish people understood that when you break on a highway, like if you just look out in front of your 
like a car or two in front of you, you rarely, if ever, do you need to brake on a highway. Fairly true. If you're driving well, you should not have to touch your brakes on the highway. <laughs> and actually, you do more damage to your to your brake system by riding the brakes on, on a highway at 65, 70 than you do stopping abruptly at each stop sign that you come <laughs> up to. Like, coming from... 25 to zero quickly is not nearly as bad on your brake system as doing 75 to 65, <laughs> 80 to 65. Like you, the way people just ride their brakes on the highway, <laughs> just look three cars in front of you. If the brake lights, they come down a line, you can see when it's happening. And if you drive on the bumper of the other person, like that's all you're watching is their license plate, you're accident prone anyway. You're liable to hit something soon anyway. <laughs> Start looking in front of you. You don't have to brake. Oh, my word. You can let off the gas. And you're if you're keeping proper distance and all of this, again, I'm probably talking to someone that's driving in the city. <laughs> I get it. Oh, you country folks and your wide open roads. Oh, that's another whole debate right there. <laughs> city versus rural. Right. You should still be looking two, three cars in front of you. Yes, absolutely. Like, do not get into the habit of driving on the car that's in front of you. That's, yes. That's a bad, bad driver. Bad, it's bad, bad driving habits. Yes. And you'll eventually get somebody that will make mad as well. Yeah. So just don't do it. Uh, additionally, the left-hand lane is not for cruising. Yes. It is for passing. Actually... Does Ohio have that as a law? It doesn't matter if it's a law. Pennsylvania has it as a law. But it is a common courtesy and something that is taught, I know, in Ohio driver's ed. Not that it's penalty, but they say clearly. And they did when I, I mean, it was a while ago. It was 18, so it was almost 10 years ago. That I, Oh, no, almost 20 years ago. Holy crap, that's weird. <laughs> You're old. Old. So old. I'm um, not old. I'm 37. <laughs> I'm 37. I'm not old. Um, but it is. it is a passing lane you do not just get there and go hey it's 65 i'm gonna go 65 in this lane no that lane is for you to overtake another vehicle. overtake another vehicle and pass it right that is what it is for please don't just sit there please don't just think nobody's over here this is great i'm all I by believe myself in pennsylvania if you are observed traveling I, there's a particular distance if it's a mile or something i don't remember what it is in the left lane without like after you have either overtaking someone or there's no reason for you to be over there, you can be pulled over and ticketed. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's one of the I'm few. I'm pretty sure. That's the way it was when I was in driver's ed. That's now, one of the few. Is, that's but. one of the few reasons for being pulled over and ticketed that I could get behind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But then that means that the cop would have to follow you for a mile or mm, observe you from true. the air. That's what drones are for, right? Mm. <laughs> Drones are, most of the time they use like small 172s, like small right. single engine aircraft. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And oh. they they time you from the air and things. Yeah. Which I don't know how I feel about that either. I think I think that one bothers me. Speed cameras. Yeah. How do you feel about speed cameras? They're all over the UK. Why have they not caught on in the United States? Because in the United States, you get the privilege of facing your accuser in court. Yes. And speed cameras don't hold up very well. No, they don't. Red light cameras are 
here and there, but in Ohio, haven't had people had success in Ohio against the red light cameras? They got knocked out. They did. They they're there. But they they're were not, there for a little while. They're still physically there, but they're not right. allowed to be used uh, to be ticketed. There to, for a while, for you could you could get ticketed from a red light camera if it was being like actively monitored right. or something. Like if somebody was physically watching it, right, and they saw you do the thing, whatever <laughs> the thing was. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, the only red light camera I've ever experienced was in uh, California, and it was a ridiculously, ridiculously high ticket because California is broke, and they're a horribly run state. I was watching the Grand Tour, which is uh, Top Gear, but rebranded for Amazon. Yeah. But they were talking about how there was a town in Italy that put up a speed camera, and it wasn't a populated town, like heavily populated at all. (laughs) And in the two weeks that they had the speed camera up, they caught 4,000 people. (laughs) And it was just on like this outer road around the town like it wasn't in town it was outside of town but they caught like four thousand people and this is a british show so they're all laughing and i'm like yeah that's what freedom feels like (laughs) we're not used to that oh my word i mean think about it you put up a speed camera on some of these highways you'd catch every single person going down the highway that's hilarious (laughs) that's really funny i love it oh my word Confirms everything I thought about the Italian countryside. <laughs> Italian? Sorry, I say that, that wrong. Is a, that is a that is a a uh, a a very Dutchy uh, yeah. version of Italian. I hear a lot of Italian. Sorry, yeah, I hear a lot of Italian from people who are of of Amish and Mennonite descent for whatever mm. reason. Don't know. There why. we go. I haven't worked it all the way out. That's fine. I I've don't expect you to. I'm very good with the dressing when I yes, see it. It's it's where you come from. I have to change it internally. Yes, it's where you come from. It's okay okay yeah it's who you are i'm not gonna be mad about that um let's see do i have anything else my government ones got very ranty and i know that oh that's fine they were there they were stored up for a little bit we can stick on uh driving for just a second uh if you have a four-wheel drive vehicle you get to your crash site faster in the snow (laughs) that's what you get <laughs> the important thing in the snow is steering and stopping. <laughs> and How, whether or not you can do those two yes, things. Yes, your four-wheel drive vehicle gets you up to speed in the snow quicker, but it does get you to your crash site just yes. as quickly as anything else. Maybe yeah, more so. Probably faster. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> that is good. Oh, and if man. the snow is dry, you're much better off, but the important thing when you're driving in snow in northern country is how you stop. Do not, again, with the braking, normally you want to go as quickly as possible, get on the brakes or off of them. Not the same in the no. snow. Ease into that sucker. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe even pump them a little it. bit. And again, when we're talking about driving three or four cars in front of you, way more necessary <laughs> in the snow. But you can drive in awful snowy conditions at almost the speed limit and be just fine. If you're braking and steering, if you're conscious about how that's happening and how your car is engaging with the road, you don't have cruise control set and you aren't like spinning your tires or doing anything you shouldn't like just easy does it, buddy. Yes. And we can all get down the road. The problem is some of you people think you have four wheel drive vehicles and that somehow lets you stop quicker. Actually, anti-lock brakes work by stopping you in a longer distance 
but more if control. You, and if you have ever experienced your anti-lock brakes, what they do is they pump. Yeah. So if you instead of locking up, which is what would happen and cause bad things, you literally hear them go do and it's literally the brakes hitting off and on your, your trying to find grip yes, anywhere it can anywhere get it. it can get it. So so yes. your four wheel drive gets you up to speed and it does nothing to stop you. That's good. Um, something I wish people understood that uh, asking questions is not stupid. Asking questions is how stupid people get smart. People get smarter. Right. Asking questions will make you a more intelligent person. Um, and I mean that both in the sense that you should question almost everything. Question everything, not just almost. Question everything. Uh, because if it has any any substance, it will hold up to your questions. But also, don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Because it's not your ignorance showing in the sense that... First of all, ignorance is not... Oh, this is another thing. Ignorance is not a derogatory term. If you are ignorant, it's literally because you don't know something. Yeah. And the only way to fix that is to understand that you don't know it and ask questions about it. Here's one that I wish people understood. Yes. As a salesman, in the sales process, <clears throat> the time you have the salesman's most complete attention is prior to the purchase. So as you're talking about asking questions, yes. ask all your questions on the front end. Yes. Because as soon as you've made the purchase, the salesman himself no longer... He's done. He's, he, most of them... Yeah are done with the process. A good salesman knows that his reputation is on the line right. for how he follows up the sale. But for most salesmen in most sales environments, you have most of his attention before you hand the money. If you want something a particular way, the way to get it is ask tons of questions and get all your particulars handed out before you hand the money. Yes. After that, you're dealing with the service department. Yes. <laughs> and you're dealing with people that are meant to handle problems right not people that are dealing with money yes on like so you've given your money this <clears throat> came to mind because we were we were shopping for a dishwasher and so my wife is like going around and like i like this about this i don't like this about this i don't like this about this and we found one that she liked most of the things but she didn't like like how the top rack was yes and so the salesman was there and i was like and he knew that we were really interested because we had just bought a fridge from this man. So he knew that we had money in, to spend on kitchen appliances right. and we were still in a store. So we still have his attention when we're looking at dishwashers. And I'm like, I think this top rack, is there is there a possibility of like mounting it higher or like some way to create more room on the bottom? And he's like, oh yeah, that's pretty easy. Check this out. And he grabs two little tabs on the side, yep. click, click, raises the thing up and just is like, Oh, I love it now. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, because we asked the question now, it helped our buying process. Yes. But it's because he was attentive. He was following us around like a puppy dog yeah. because we had the money. He wants the money. And, and I was thinking about it relating to the stuff that I sell. You have their attention on the front end. Yeah. Ask all your questions. And, and I, would, I would amplify that and say, don't trust someone who won't let you ask questions. Oh, absolutely. Ever. If they're putting pressure on you to buy now or put money down, that guy is just, that's the guy that's like, you know, trying to take you home on the first date. Yeah. You know, that's nope. this, this is red, red flag city. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
those high pressure sales tactics, I, I have the same patience for them as the, as the situation I just described. A, yeah. a pushy romantic. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. I know what you want and I'm not going to give it to you. No. <laughs> the answer is no. Oh, man. And again, let me be clear. These things that we're saying and these things that I've we said. We assume are, you understand them. We're, we're hoping that you do. But for those of you who don't and those of you who have missed some of these things or maybe you never had an interest in these things. Take an interest in some of these things. And by the way, I was right about voting. What? Have, oh, yes. I said you can vote, but your vote doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, remember, we said no, before you, the you, election. But you did amend. You said I past a certain point, I your did, vote doesn't count. I did count. amend because I said if enough of you vote in a particular way and it becomes overwhelming, yes. then it can't be. Yes funnel to become fuzzy some subject of fuzzy math because if you actually thought your vote counted you have to believe in a system where it could come all the way down to the end and one vote one way or the other could yes. determine the outcome and the reason it doesn't matter is because we're not a democracy everyone in the country has had that illusion destroyed yes. for them. but you should want a system we should all desire a system yeah that it should be able to come down to the end. Yes. And one vote, one way or the other, should decide an election. It does not currently. It hasn't always been this way. It should be that way. Yes. I was right. You should vote. Your vote should matter. I'm saying your vote individually doesn't matter at all. It yes. only matters in the sense of the larger or smaller collective. Whichever. Yes. Yes. And, and in addition to that... That reminds me of two things that I'll, <laughs> I, I guess this will be my parting shot because we're hit, we're closing in on okay. an hour no, that's and, I, and I think I'm good. I think I've said the things I want to say. Two things that are very important. And I'm not going to relate this to the fact that Donald Trump is currently president other than the fact that he is. And so I'm going to use his, him as an example. Even though the election happened on November 3rd and the media has declared someone a winner. Donald Trump is still the president of the United States. You don't have two presidents at once. No. And I have seen on the only reason I'm saying this is because I've seen more than a few people on Twitter who every time Trump comes out and does something as the president, they're saying, why is he still doing this? Joe Biden's the president now. Why doesn't he just go away? That's not how it works. He does not become president until January 20th when he is sworn into office. So... Donald Trump is still the president of the United States until his term is over, and it is not over until January 20th. Secondarily, Joe Biden is not the president-elect of the United States right now. He is not. He's the projected winner, but the only people who have projected him to be the winner are the media. Yes, he would be president-elect <laughs> once the electors... Yes, which happens on December 14th. Right. Once December 14th happens, there's a whole other discussion that happens there. But as it currently stands, right. Joe Biden is not the president-elect of the United States. And and I, I hate that he's doing something. He's doing something that Barack Obama did that bothered me a lot. When he won, he started. He got that plaque that said, the office of the president-elect. The president-elect is not anything. It's literally not anything. You have no power. You have no ability to do anything. You're not the executive at all. But President Obama was the first person to do that when he got elected president or when he yeah, when he when he won 
in 2008. Well, no. Well, no. The, the left is very concerned about this. That's what the whole Russiagate thing was. Yes. That the incoming administration was acting as the administration, communicating to foreign agents, telegraphing what they would do in a month or two. That's right. what all of Russiagate was about. So it is very serious what the incoming administration right. does and does not do. Right. They cannot act like the president even though or that telegraph is, what they right. will do to foreign powers. Even though that is 100% happening currently with, with Joe Biden, and he's admitted it to the no. media multiple times. But either way, either way, please understand that. <laughs> and I'm saying that mostly right now because I'm old enough to remember back in 2000 when we did not know who the president was for months. And we, we are who the currently president was his name was Bill Clinton. <laughs> right. <laughs> who the president was going to be. Thank you for there that. There you go. <laughs> we did not know. It was back and forth and back and forth. There was a mess. And the media back then was responsible enough to hold back and say, We don't know. And it drove everybody crazy. They just wanted to know. Tell us, tell us, we want to know, we want to know. But until it was decided, until all the court cases were done, until everything was finished, the media did not project a winner. They did initially, and then they pulled back and said, nope, it's still contested. That is currently where we are in the presidential process right now. We are there. And I have never been so disgusted with the media as I have been in this process because they basically called their shot and they're just refusing to say we may or may not have been wrong or the process isn't done yet. We're just going to continue like we're right. What they say literally doesn't matter. It is not part of the process. The process is the process, and they are not in it. They just comment on it. So as it currently stands, Donald Trump is still the president of the United States, and there is no president-elect of the United States because there has been nothing right. definitive, and it's still under litigation. So will Joe Biden be the president-elect? It's probable. Probably. Probable. Very probable. Yeah. Is he currently? No. <laughs> he is not. Yeah. Um, he probably will be the what is it, 46th president? And he's been in, in government since God was a boy, so he knows <laughs> that he's not the president-elect. 180 years yes. by his count. That's right. That's right. Yes, it was 180 years. That's right. Good old Joe. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, that's it. That's Sorry, the we'll end stop of my reading rant. on Joe Biden. No, no, we won't. We'll never do that. <laughs> we'll never do that. I'll, I'll, I'll never stop having problems with Joe Biden. <laughs> but anyway, that's it. I'm good. There you My go. heart is clear. You now all you now understand all the things that Nate wishes you to understand. You know all the things that I'm willing to say on this podcast that I wish you understood. <laughs> that I wish people understood. The ones that currently bother Nate. Currently bother me, yes. <laughs> Between this week and two weeks ago. Well, thanks for taking us through some sticky situations. Yes. Yes. If you guys like this episode, feel free to rate it on iTunes. We appreciate that. And uh, if you want to tell other people how you're listening to us, you can do that on Facebook at facebook.com slash the things we say podcast. We also have an email, the things we say at mail.com. You can find us on social media at TTWS podcast on all those other media platforms. So there you go. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, thanks for listening and uh, we'll check in with you guys sooner rather than later. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.